Hello, Maxine Tima, a convicted Kimraig, Brian and Rob. Hi, Maxine here, Ryan and Rob's Welsh translator. The Chin Grando are Podlidiad Newid, Fearless in Devotion. You're listening to Fearless in Devotion, a new podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions. Raise your voices to the anthem. Marching wide, our mighty army, Wrexham. Crocs on all to Fearless in Devotion with me, Rhys Williams, Tim Edwards, Andy Gilpin and Liam Randall. How are we today, gents? Very good, thank you. Tip top. Excellent, yeah. glad to hear it. Well, you guys, I, I missed out on a chat with Bryn Law this week. How did it go? Any, any Anything uh, stand out for you? There was, a, there was quite a good, uh, yeah, there was quite a few good things that I thought that Bryn talked about really well. Um, one thing I thought was uh, Sean Harvey and what he thought about him. The other thing was the retain list, Reese. I know it's quite in vogue, so what do you think about that? Andy, you keep forgetting that the only thing smaller than my character are my opinions. So okay. I, I don't have opinions. Uh, oh, no. yeah, of course <laughs> you bloody do. I, okay, I was very... Um, everything I say should be qualified by, I'm, you know happy to be proven wrong and I hope I am in terms of by the quality of players that we bring in and it's quite a statement of intent in my opinion to kind of let people like Vassell and Kelleher go you know at the end of the day I thought the defence wasn't too bad it was a pretty solid defence obviously Pearson then went in a a perhaps more unexpected turn of events Um, Mm. but I you know not quite sure ripping up the defence like that was the best idea but as I say hopefully it's because they've got people lined up and Les Reed has had has got centre-backs lined up that he's ready to get involved if if that's the case then brilliant you know I don't as much as I liked Kelleher especially I thought he was pretty solid you know he's not exactly a club legend he's only been here a season so I'm not gonna be that upset um <laughs> if we get someone better in which I'm sure we can uh other than that I wasn't there's not that many surprises other than I suppose Redmond being kept on but I say perhaps a nod, as quite a lot of people have obviously said, to the fact that we're going to be playing that kind of football next season, which which is good if we if they've got we've kept on skillful players, um, so that's mm-hmm. positive. Um, but yeah, I hope that they've got some good signings lined up because we need to build that defence pretty quickly. I would say. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say as well. We need to we need to really strengthen there, don't we? So to lose two and then lose three. Yeah. So French and Clue are the only centre backs at the club. Um, you know, we're going to want a couple more and, you know, not sure. I, I really like Cam Green. I'm glad he's been offered a contract. And, um, what about record? Re- well, oh, sorry, yes, record. That was one I was surprised by because not afraid to say that I thought he's been very poor, especially the second half of the season. Um, you know, and if, if you're looking at places where you can strengthen, I would have thought another left back to maybe help challenge Cam Green if he does sign on would have been sensible and perhaps a maybe slightly more defensive left back as well because mm. I didn't get great defensive sort of wasn't blown away by Cam Green's defence even though he's been very impressive going forward um, so yeah a few surprises but um, hopefully there's a grand plan behind all this yeah because I don't think we've got a good enough defensive left back and I don't think we've got a good enough attacking left back in record no or green, so it's going to be it's going to be quite interesting who they're going to bring in to supplement that because they've obviously signed two. They want to sign two left backs. Yeah. Well, I, when, you know, when I was thinking before I saw the retain list, I thought, well, they'll keep all the 
the, they'll keep all the defense except for record. That's what I thought personally would have been. Yeah. And they've basically done the opposite. Yeah. So what do I know? Anyway. Um, Anyway, Bryn Law, did he touch on, on stuff about uh, the managerial situation? Yeah, we um, we discussed it um, and with Bryn being fairly ITK, a.k.a. in the know, for the people who don't know what that abbreviation stands for. I, I had no idea. Well, that's because you're 10 sheets to the wind as per usual, Mr. <laughs> um, anyway... Yeah, we, we sort of discussed it briefly, and, and whilst he he insists he um, he doesn't have any um, insider knowledge as to what was where, thinking back on it, just before we we recorded this bit, and um, there, there were little parts that he discussed, which reading between the lines, I think were geared towards um, Mike Flynn, which he said um, would be his preferred choice as well. Um, we had a round robin discussion as to who would prefer what, so we'll listen to that shortly. Um, but that was uh, was Brins and yeah, listen on to hear why really it's quite interesting and yeah, for my money that would be uh, my preferred uh, choice as well. But yeah, he does allude to something I think which would suggest that he may be solidly in the frame for it. I'm looking forward to listening to this one as well. Here is the chat that the lads had earlier on in the week with Bryn Law. As has been the case in previous weeks, we've decided to shy away from the player interviews and go slightly off the beaten path. We had Spencer Harris, we've had Maxine, and we thought it was better late than never to invite a broadcaster, commentator, author, everything else, lifelong Wrexham supporter, Mr. Bryn Law. So welcome to the podcast, Bryn. Noswithar, good evening. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Um, there's, we might as well cut straight to it. To be honest, there's been a lot happening in the uh, the Kairas this week. Um, I don't even know where to begin. To be honest, I mean, let, let's strike while the iron's hot. I think we're we're talking. We're recording this about two hours after the uh, shock, or is it a shock departure of club captain Sean Pearson? What's your uh, your take on that, Bryn? It's football, is my take, to be honest with you. It seems quite, in a sense, quite straightforward. Uh, yeah. He has a better deal on offer elsewhere, better in terms of longer. That's what that's the key here, isn't it? That, you know, it's funny because I was at the fat, I was in the fat bar eating uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, and um, Claire, Sean's wife, was Clarice, working yeah. in the. Uh, it, sorry, yeah, was working in the in the fat bar. She introduced herself that evening, and we were chatting about you know, the football football and the problems that it creates are kind of the level that we're operating at currently because the lads are not in huge sums of money. They have to work. And, and obviously Sean has had that period where he was helping out the fat ball, which is it, it's part of the, the, the difficulties that they've had to deal with in the last 12, 18 months. So everyone sees this glamorous professional football lifestyle, but actually they're doing the same job as everybody else. They're just trying to pay the bills a lot. Most of the lads, the vast majority of footballers, don't earn great sums of money. You know, quite a few of them earn less than good sums of money, frankly. So it's it's a privileged position to be in, to be paid to play football, but you still got to pay the mortgage. And, um, I, you know, if he was getting 
uh, they've got another child on the way and um, he was getting offered one year from Wrexham and then he gets offered two years security at another club with whom he's got a very strong affinity as well and where the fans will welcome him with open arms. You know, there's no, I, I don't think there's any real decision for him to make there. He makes the decision on the basis of what's best for his family and, and rightly so. Um, I suppose the question mark is, you know, could Wrexham, should Wrexham effectively match that offer or better that offer um, to prevent him going to Grimsby? Well, they've, you know, they've, they've decided what they wanted to do here. So it looks like a, a straight, for me, it looks like a straightforward football issue, if you like. Um, and we, sh- we in this National League, we've got used to, at this level, we've got used to players waving goodbye very regularly. You don't have too much. I think that's the difference here, isn't it? That you don't get the chance to get to know too many people in this league because we change the squad almost every summer, it seems. So the two or three that you do have some affinity to, at least given the longevity of their stay and their commitment to the cause and all the rest of it, um, it just it, it resonates just that little bit more on that basis. But... Um, you know, I, I wish him absolutely all the best, just obviously not in terms of how he gets on in the league next season. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we can all concur on that. So, you know, Sean, we wish you well. Um, I've trying to take my emotional attachment away from it because I'm gutted, to be honest. However, yeah, you know, it, it is football at the end of the day. Um, he is at an age where, was he, 32? So yeah. two years you know, mm-hmm. A hard to come by at that stage of your career, but yeah. massive boost for Grimsby in their uh, their first time back in after a spell in the league. So, um, yeah, good luck to him. Um, is he arguably our best player of the non-league era? Or is that a stretch? Oh, I'd, I'd say Keats was probably pretty good. Can I just do a very quick straw poll? Just go around the four, just round the four of us, and say, would you have given Sean Pearson a two-year deal? I'm going to go first, and I'm probably going to go no. Tim, um, I would have said they should have should have gone a little bit further and said eighteen months. But there we are. That's the, that's what it is. I, ju- I just think he still offers something to the side mm. in terms of when he's in. There's much more belief about the team. He's a voice. You know, we can hear. We've heard him from the stands when he hasn't been playing. And mm. I'm just you know, there's. There's a lot of people gutted about it, me included. And then there's there's other not not dissenting voices, but there's voices there saying, Oh, well, we've got money now, we can do better, we can get better. See you later. He's past his best. Bye bye. It's like, well, I don't know. I think you need to be a bit more respectful than that. I think he's he's given 110% every time he's pulling a red shirt. Um, and to be honest, I hope us go up as promotion as, as, as champions next season Grimsy go up through the playoffs with, with him because I think he deserves every success he gets to be honest that's a full answer Liam <laughs> <Yeah. Sorry. laughs> what was the question <laughs> I wanted a yes or no there <laughs> can I just say I've never heard of an 18 month contract from the start of the season How does that oh, yeah. <laughs> he's inventing them now isn't he yeah um, exactly yeah. I think I yeah I think I would I would have gone two years maybe it's a bit um, emotional attachment wise you know like Bryn said it's not often that you actually get players like that who stick around um, in this league and Sean well he delivered me a lovely meal last year <laughs> during lockdown uh, when I was feeling a bit glum and I don't know you just you do get attached though don't you it's those community things you see Sean out and about because he's lived in Wrexham 
Um, but also on the playing side, though, I don't think he's a player you can ever say has, has shirked his responsibilities. And even if it means long-term that he would end up in a coaching role or something like that, um, yeah, I would have given him extra time, basically, in short. <laughs> Fair the, enough. The, the blow's going to be softened by whoever is brought in. That's that's the litmus test now, isn't it? Who are we getting in? How are we going to get players of a, of a serious calibre with the uh, with the resources we've now got? But, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, I guess. So, um, yeah, farewell, Sean Pearson. Um, on the flip side of that, two-year deals for Leighton and Dibble. So, at least we've got that um, area already covered, early doors. So, mm-hmm. every cloud, I think. I, I mean, I would have been gutted if we'd have lost Leighton and Pearson because I think that's... That's like a spine of a, a team, but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm pretty happy with those two year deals. Sorry, Bryn, just very quickly, yes or no? Two two years. <laughs> I was, I Before I got you got away with, with it, you hadn't yeah, got away. I, with it. Um, I think I'm going to do one of those kind of um, sort of sit on the on the fence answers to an extent and say I, I don't I don't think a two year deal. I think they've offered him what they felt they should offer him. Mm. Um, there is. There is um, thought going into this process. And as you've rightly pointed out, Tim, the challenge here for Exum is is twofold. Is one, keeping elements of what you've got. And the bigger challenge, frankly, is finding the new elements to come in. So they will have pitched this offer, I would suggest, on the basis of um, that fact that Sean's quite old, 32, on that basis of things may change in the next 12. Things are going to change, undoubtedly, in the next 12 months. And there is a bottom line with this. It, I started off by saying it's a football decision. I think it is a football decision because you would hope that Wrexham are now going to be, to an extent, shopping in different markets. And so if they are going into the marketplace with um, a bit more um, behind them this time, then in all areas, I would suggest you'll be able to find better players. Um, because I think there's a big change around coming this summer anyway, that the word is that uh, in League One and League Two in particular, the whole process that everybody's been through and the lockdown bit, no fans in the ground, you know, there's still chickens to come home to roost financially on that basis. And I, uh, the suggestion is that quite a lot of the League One, League Two clubs are going to s- s- radically cut budgets and the offers are going to be very different um, this summer than they have been in previous summers for players at that level. So my theory on that basis is that there's going to be you're going to be able to get a bit more bang for your buck this summer than maybe you have done for an awful long time. So you might be surprised potentially at the calibre of player that you can attract, even despite the sort of current lowly position of the club. I'm hoping that's the case anyway. That's the that's the kind of the, the, the runes that I'm reading at the moment. Yeah. With with that in mind, um, it goes hand in hand with the next question, I guess. What did you make of the retain list? Was there any shocks or surprises in there for you, or was it a case of pretty? If, I'm, bre- if I'm if I'm being brutally honest, I think there's probably more names on on it than I was anticipating. Yeah, um, more names on the retain list than I was anticipating because, um, as Mickey Thomas um, put it um, quite forcefully, uh, <laughs> he did, didn't he? <laughs> early, <laughs> earlier this week. You know, eighth is not good enough. Now you can argue about size of budgets and all the rest of it, but the perception, at least for me, is that you've fallen a long way short. I mean, you've got this bizarre, slightly bizarre situation in the National League where the top one goes up, but then 
as we've seen in the last few weeks, everybody down to 10 right into the final game of the season has a chance of declaring themselves getting into the, getting into the playoffs. So it's basically half the table was, you know, is playing for something on the theory that they might get promoted at the end of it. Actually, analyze it and finishing eighth in the table is is not it's better than last year is what it is. So if you're looking at progress, then the progress has been made. But we've got to be an off. We've got to be seven places better than that next season. Yeah, and that that's them. That's the challenge. Seven places higher up the table next season. So the group we've got needs to be. You would suggest either um, either something changes within the group, or you've got to get much better players in. That's that for me appears to looks like the bottom line at the moment. Yeah. I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask who you think should have not been on the Bussain list because that would be unfair because in case you need to go back spot. there and do some of the, mm. uh, the live streaming, if, if indeed it is good, have you heard any word of that? If that's still going to be a no, continued process? We, we, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, there, there are lots of things that the national league is going to have to decide before, um, before, maybe decisions will be made on that basis because obviously there was dispensation given by BT Sport this last season for all the clubs to show their games. Will BT Sport be so um, readily, effectively giving away their product next season? We'll have to wait and see. I mean, I think I think what we can say um, uh, without contradiction at the moment is it proved a great success, not just at Wrexham, across the board. There was a figure for the EFL was produced yesterday to say that they had made forty-two million pounds from the iFollow um, coverage in the in the EFL last season. Now those are big. Those are big numbers. I know that's covering the absence of fans, but the numbers are big, and that means that iFollow, which is in place, is something you can get pretty much every game on, apart from a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. So the football league is already really offering that service. Is getting increasingly important in terms of the the financial the stream that it gives to football clubs. And I can't imagine it's any different. In fact, it might be more the case in the National League that actually the, re- the sums that can be raised are, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, Wrexham could potentially earn more from the streaming service than it can from the its, its cut of the BT Sport deal. Mm. Um, you know, so that isn't the case for every club, but Wrexham is one of those in the happy position where that would be the case because of size of support. So, there's going to be some interesting conversations at a number of levels going forward because fans have got used to being able to access the coverage now. You can watch every game. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, that, I was, I'm just going to say that living in London, I have actually watched every single game this exactly. season. Exactly, it's been which you would not have been able to do brilliant before. for me. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. It's cost me four hundred and. 80 quid or something like that. But you know what I mean? And it's dominated my Saturday afternoons, but I've absolutely loved it. So how do you now turn around to people like yourself, Andy, and say, well, sorry, you can't do that anymore? Because you're willing to contribute to the clubs involved, not just to Rex. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So everybody, you know, gets to share in it on that basis. I mean, again, there are conversations to be had about how you might work that going forward. But, I think it's been a success and I think it'll be really hard for them to row back on it now and say, well, you can't have that anymore. It feels a bit to me like the genie's out of the bottle, if you like. Yeah, and also all the clubs have bought the equipment. They know it works. I mean, if it's if it's a stage of signing another BT deal where you can't do it or going alone, even in a way that we thought the Premier League might go into like, mm. like 10 years since, you know, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer for me that I think they would carry this on rather than have one extra payment on a Saturday every couple of months. Yeah. Well, at the highest level, 
it, there is still, I mean, all the clubs at the highest level have lost a lot of money as well. Mm. Um, they had more in the first place, but they've lost more. But they have the security of a longer term deal, which is worth still worth an awful lot of money. Manchester United go it alone and show their own games. They'll make fortunes, you know. Um, X million people around the world were watching at £10 a pop. That's serious money every single game. So there'll be a push from them to do that. But there's a collective deal in place which offers the big Premier League clubs the security of knowing that their finances will incorporate that sum going forward to the next, whatever it is, three, four years. That doesn't really exist at, at National League level because the sum isn't, you know, the sum is, is small and it's not making a, any sort of significant difference to the individual clubs. However, if they did have the access to doing the, their own streaming service and they do the math, mm. it may show that there is actually quite a significant revenue stream to be earned from that there. And every penny counts at the moment. So it's, you know, that there, there might be some pressure still on people to come to an agreement here and come to an arrangement here. I mean, I'm looking at Tuesday night away at Bromley, assuming they don't get promoted. Uh, we have 150 kind of, uh, some will be diehards who traveled. Quite a few will be based in the southeast will go and watch it. So we have better support uh, than anybody else. So okay. you're at that one. Yeah. But there are then three and a half thousand other people potentially who might be sat at home who would genuinely sit there mm. and, and, and want to watch it. So you know there's an audience there. Yeah, you, yeah. You've, you've proved it. You've proved all that now. Mm. So if you know there's an audience there and you know those people will pay money for this thing, how are you gonna how are you gonna not be tempted to actually try and um you know to, to get into that and to, and to make that work so that to, to answer the question simply we don't know what's happening next season but there are <laughs> <of stuff>. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good diversion though it was interesting yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've been to um, bromley i've spent 480 quid yeah you're a super fan andy <laughs> Is it fair to say you've enjoyed doing the uh, the anchoring on the on the streams? Is it yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I tell you, up, you know? well, I hope so. Jesus, I've been doing it long enough. <laughs> uh, and the I mean, the, the team that we had working on it, um, really interesting project. Really, really one of the most interesting projects I've had. I mean, I left Sky a couple of years ago, and it's been lots of other stuff going on since then. But the a, it was Wrexham. So a, so there's extra pressure on that basis because my club, etc., etc. My mum was watching all the rest of it, um, and also uh, the new owners are watching it. So yeah, you know, there's that added thing, isn't there? That says that these guys know what works visually. So there's a pressure, but also all these people who are paying ten quid to watch it. You know, all you guys. There's a massive. Um, there's a responsibility to provide the best possible service to my mind. And I've worked at a company for all that time, you know, where that, that's a demand that's made of you constantly. People pay for this, so it's got to be as good as it can be, the Sky Sports coverage. All the guys that we that, that were part of the little production team that we built around the game were all um, people who'd worked in that sort of arena. So would, you know, um, top people, highly experienced, all the best gear. Um, and... But the experience I think was really uh, was really useful to us because we did um, we did we worked with the guys who were already on the ground as well. So there was a, a, a mixture there in terms of level of experience. Um, but the input for me actually the, the the anchoring bit was was nice to do. But as interesting for me uh, was the actual putting together process because we created running orders for the for the show. So that we 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 built a build up to it. So we wanted it to look as much like the thing that you see on what 
for better phrase, real telly looks like, you know, what it looks like on Sky or um, BT or whatever. We wanted it to look like that. And with the four cameras that we used on all the games, we got we knew we could get close to that if we put the elements in the right places and did the right things with the right people. So if we got anywhere close to doing that, then I'd I'd be you know more than happy on that basis. So it, when I could get back and do a game, it was really nice just to be in the ground watching a match, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But then I'm I jealous. I well, I, I was aware of that as well. You know, it was it, it, I got called out on it one day for saying it was cold when I was sitting in the stand, which I kind of get. <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> um, I mean, it's Wrexham, man. It comes with the territory. Mm. But um, so, so I, yeah, it was it was a privileged position to be in. But um, we we put a lot into it. It was actually it, uh, what I will say was it was far more work than I was anticipating um, in terms of the constant because we wanted to try and improve it week on week. We wanted to make it just slightly better than it was the time before. Um, so we had to iron out any mistakes at the beginning of the process. And then once we'd kind of ironed them out in discussion with everybody at the club and all the rest of it, then we wanted to add bits and elements to it that would slightly, so there were small tweaks in things like doing a player interview before the game at the start of the process. We weren't doing that, but we got great help from the club in arranging that a player was coming in earlier than usual on a match day to do a pre-match interview, which we would then pre-record. So that was, we could add that to the build-up then. So you had the elements that you would expect then, pre-match interview with a player, pre-match interview with the manager. Then we mm. built a little graphics package around Rexon is the name, a little sort of title sequence rather around that. So every we were just trying to we were tweaking it and fine-tuning it and trying to make it, you know, um look look okay, look good. And it was a brilliant process to be involved in. And what's I liked, what I got a lot out of was the lads who we brought in to do it, and in this case it was lads, um, they really got into it and they started there's a, there's a little whatsapp group and it's all oh good result for Exxon this afternoon for the away games and stuff so they they invested in the whole the whole thing mm-hmm. almost emotionally invested in it in terms of they started to get interested in how Exxon were getting on uh, and they were probably as not quite as gutted as, as anybody else on the on the Dagenham day but you know wanted to see the club do well so I was I, I'm glad they bought into it on that basis as well. The good guys, anyway. So um, I suppose you'd expect, and they all love their football, so that makes a big mm. difference. I think. You know what? That bodes well for any sort of documentary we might do in the next uh, <laughs> next few years. Brent, if we can bring you back to football a little, uh, back again. So obviously, Dean Keats was—I don't know how do we say it—is he was he sacked? Was he relieved of his duties? Was his contract not renewed? Do you think Dean Keats was unlucky? Um, I th- yeah, I think he was to a degree. I think he was to a degree because, like I mentioned earlier, in football you're meant to show year-on-year progress, and so he could point to that and say we've made progress. So to a degree, I think Dean was probably a victim of, in a sense, of circumstances um, because things changed at the club in the midst of his tenure that were, you know, by their nature, were going to put him under more pressure. Um, that pressure to succeed now is going to be there. Now, whether that happens in the next 12 months or 24 or 36 months, that pressure to succeed is definitely going to be there, which sounds a bit ironic given that we've been through about 15 managers in the last, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, six months or whatever it is. I mean, I saw that stat about Mark Carrington had been at the club with eight managers, was it? Wow. Um, in eight years. But in, mm. uh, yeah. 
But in fairness, we've had players on three-month loans who've seen four managers come and go, haven't we? So, I mean, that, that's almost not that surprising. So that constant revolving door thing has been, I don't think it's been great for the club at all. So you would actually say it's just a return to type. Dean, you know, gets to the end of his contract and oops, there goes another one. But I think, um, you know, you can see the way that the 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 building blocks are being, I think, I hope you can see the way the building blocks have been put in place at the club at the moment. And um, I don't think, it wasn't a great surprise to me that on that basis that the contract wasn't really, it comes back to that early statement in regards to Sean Pearson. It's kind of, it's football, isn't it? You know, mm. um, new people, new ideas um, decide that they're going to go a new way. So he wasn't lucky because he'd, he'd fulfilled a large part of the remit to show progress. But, um, eighth is it can't it can't be good enough. We can't. Uh, it's been said by a lot of people. We can't have that. The benchmark's got to be seven places higher than that. That has to be the aim of the exercise. It can't be any less than that. We've got to get out of this ruddy league. Yeah. No. Did you get a sense that that was the um, way it was going, bring You know, from being on match day in terms of Dean Keats's future. Did you get the sense that he would? go or was there no sort of inkling beforehand not really it was i mean you know it, it's actually a, a, there was a, a geographical um kind of distance between us because of the way that the stadium operated you're either amber zone uh, or red zone amber zone was where we worked from gantry side and we couldn't go uh, basically oh, okay. couldn't go across the other side because that was most of it is red zone area so you can't go on the pitch you can't go in the dressing room area so actually we didn't really have any very much match day interaction with anybody at the club at all. The only time we saw the manager was before the game um, and the player who was brought over or the players brought over at the end. That was the, that was the extent of the interaction. So I couldn't really, I couldn't, there was no opportunity to kind of gain gauge, you know, what was going on or what the thinking was there or anything like that. Um, we had to just literally go on what we saw in front of us, if you like, which was the football, the way the manager reacted to stuff, you know, the same as everybody else, frankly in terms of sort of pushing it on. So obviously Dean's gone. You've talked about a new era, a different table we're probably eating at. Where would you sort of see or what sort of managerial sort of target should we be going for? Um, do you have any sort of insider knowledge you can share with us who we might be going for? Or, or you know, what's the ideal sort of situation for you in this? I have no insider information. And the reason for that is, and it's an important point to make at this stage, particularly in the last week that we've seen, because one understanding I do have is that this has been declared an open process. So um, people are, I know people are submitting CVs. I have been contacted by people asking me, that, well, telling me that they're interested in what should they do. And I know that response is to contact the club with a CV. So that's the normal process. Um mm. Well, maybe not entirely normal for football, but they're going through what has been described as as the as a proper process. So that suggests to me that there is nobody being clearly identified as the as the the candidate. Now that's relevant in terms of what we've seen in the last few days because the whole Ferrari about um, Casey Stoney's name appearing um, on the uh, the managerial list, the, the you know sort of list of candidates. And then the reaction that that sparked off from people who then dived on that as being a real thing. I think what you've got to understand is none of this, are, none of these things are real things, because um, 
if there is a process, a normal process, people are going to apply for it. Somebody's going to sift through the CVs. Then they're going to go through an interview process. People seem to assume that because, I mean, Casey Stoney's name could appear on it because somebody had put 50 quid on her. So she appears in people. Yeah, the betting lists, the, yeah. Yes, yeah, so people read the betting lists as if there's some sort of uh, an absolute insider's guide to what's going on in this process. They aren't, not at all. I mean, it's a good bit of business for the bookies, but that you can manipulate that sort of certain setup. Agents can get involved in in having names appear, you know, um, and it, it, it's happened in the past. So the list of names that are being thrown out there and the, and the odds against them, three to one, fifteen to one, it, it actually I would I think is completely meaningless, and no store or face should be put in it at all. Now Casey Stoney might well have, might well still be on the list of potential, but there is no kind of veracity in the fact that her name is on that list any more than if I went to the bookies in Newport where I am now this evening. Like Flynn? Well, I put 500 <laughs> quid on, I was going to put 500 quid on Bryn Law to be the next manager. But <laughs> well, you'd be three to one. <laughs> do you reckon? Those are rubbish odds. But if I, if, if I did that or asked somebody to do it on my behalf, ping, my name appears on that list yeah. and then everyone can dive on me. So people were having a go at Casey Stoney for something that was of nothing to do with her at all, which she, over which she had no control and was utterly, completely hypothetical on a hypothetical. And it was going, oh, yeah, I can't do that. I can't do that. Whoa, 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 hold on a second. This, this isn't even a thing. Why is everybody getting so worked up about this thing that isn't a thing? And I hate this process, basically, and we've been through it way too often. We should know better at Wrexham by now. God, as we've just discussed, there's been enough of these in the in the last few years where we're in, oh, who's the next guy? People have just got really you're getting worked up for, for nothing at the moment. I, I would, I, I know it sounds boring, but I just like the process play through and uh, and trust. I think it's, we have to trust in the process and we have to trust in the people who are engaged in the process and and anticipate that they'll make a good appointment. I'm in Newport. Mike Flynn would be for me a, a good appointment. I was going to do what he's done. I was going to do another stroll poll, and my stroll poll was going <laughs> to be in like if, if everything was equal and we could get whoever we wanted, who would we want as the next Rexham manager? Tim Flynn, Mike, Brian, Mike. or Michael? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's it's just a very astute appointment because he's, he's he's been there and he's done it in this league isn't he and you know that's what we've that's what we wanted we want somebody we keep on it comes back to oh we need somebody who knows the league who, who knows what it's about and he does and he's he's shown that you know he's got them up and he's gotten there or thereabouts in his time there it hasn't worked out in the in the playoff final my understanding he's frustrated with the director of football they're appointing above him um and, you know, it'd be great to nick their manager, to be honest. So, yeah, him for me. Liam? Um, I think we, I think you might have mentioned him last week, but um, Graham Alexander's got the right oh, sort that's of That's what I was going to bloody say. Well, exactly. Okay, I knew well, that, so, I knew that, so that's why I said it. That's why I said it, because I would ruin it for you. Um, but, yeah, no, I just think he's got the right sort of um, CV in terms of what he's achieved in his managerial career. And if we're, we're talking hypotheticals and... Yeah, you because know, I, I, in all honesty, I don't know. He's still at Motherwell, isn't he? I don't think. Yeah, I think I he's probably think, under contract as well. I'd say. Yeah, I don't think he's likely to. But if we're speaking hypothetically, anything's possible. I'd go for that. I would go for Coleman, 
and you're going to ask me which one. Well, hopefully you would, but I want John. <laughs> and bring uh, yeah, your last. Well, the, the John Coleman shout is a good. It's a really good shout because very quietly he's done an incredible job at Accrington with a, um, a you know in comparison to many of the clubs they play against a minuscule budget. And I've seen them play a number of times. They they play good stuff. He's found good players, um, and he's a very down to earth character. Um, but he's under contract. Mike Flynn's under contract, so it depends. You know how Wrexham want to play this in terms of the process. If they're going through the the ordered process and, and playing it by the playing it by the book, then it'll be some it'll have to be somebody who isn't currently in a job. Uh, and I don't know. I have no insight on that on how they're going to do that at all. Mm. Uh, so you would say somebody like Mike Flynn. I would say somebody like John Bowen, potentially. There is an extra element to this, which um, may be something that Dean found difficult, is that you are appointing to a position at a club that has an extra set of um, demands um, potentially on you than a lot, of the, well, anybody else at this level, frankly, and certainly most above as well, in that, you are in the in the eye. You are under a great deal of spotlight and focus, and you might be followed around by a documentary um, film crew for a lot of your time, which was happening. You know that's what Dean experienced um, as soon as the, the news broke about the potential takeover, and that was something he would have to manage, and it would be quite difficult potentially. But um, so I think there is an extra slight extra element to the challenge potentially there for somebody coming in. They need to know. And be aware. And actually, I mean, I, I'm I'm in Newport now because I'm I'm doing a media module for the uh, the guys who are on the A license goalkeeping course in Wales. So we do A license goalkeeping courses as well as A license and co license courses now, and it's something I do regularly. And the whole point of me doing it is because how important because of the great importance that is now attached to being able to deal with the media in in the role that you have in management, no matter what the role is. So. Um, so I'm telling people in the room in front of me that this is incredibly important now. So I, I can't say anything but the same in connection with Wrexham. In fact, I'd actually say yes and more so. You know, it will have the feel of being almost like a Premier League job potentially in terms of the amount of focus and spotlight that's going to fall upon the person who, who is lucky enough to get the job. Mm. Uh, and I do think it's, I think it's a great job for somebody. I genuinely really, really do. And I think there'll be an awful lot of interest in, in it as a position as well. You know, I think potentially it's quite exciting caliber of candidates, I would hope, because you've seen, uh, as we speak now, Derek Adams has just gone to um, Bradford from more. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's an example of a guy who got promoted with Morecambe, but has probably looked at everything and gone, right, which club offers me, as a manager, the best chance going forward to show what I can do. I've done it with Morecambe, got them promoted, which is an incredible achievement. Again, given the size of the Morecambe, I watched that final thinking, geez, how have we not been able to do this if Morecambe can get yeah, to this yeah, position? Yeah. Um, and I was there not long ago talking before, just before Jim Bentley left and they were kind of on their uppers and all the rest of it. And now look how they've recovered with Derek Adams leading that recovery. But he's recognised straight away I think better opportunity lies elsewhere. So we may be, so he's dropped a division to do that. So we maybe have that, you know, we maybe have that pull. I hope we've got that pulling power now so that maybe there could be, you could be hopefully surprised at the potential calibre of the candidates who are involved. Yeah, that's what we're hoping for, isn't it? That's what this is all about. We want to get excited again about stuff. It's mm -hmm. a dare to dream situation. So, you, you know, you could say we've said Mike Flynn and we've said John Coleman and we've said um, you know this, that and the other, but you might say, well, why not go higher? 
you know, Chris Coleman would be an example of, you know, go for a big, a big name. Why not go for a big name and, and have that confidence that um, you can attract them in the first place, but also that that sort of character will fit into what's going to happen in future at Wrexham, please. Do you worry a little bit that if Chris Coleman did hypothetically came come in, that it's a fifth division club, he probably doesn't know the league, he doesn't know the players. Uh, can he do it on a wet Tuesday? In, <laughs> you know, but, but you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah, Solihull. Yeah, um, th- there is that element to it. But I, I, I've had to change my tack a little bit in this one because I made that comment about a bloke called Marcelo Bielsa when right. he was appointed <laughs> okay. to be the Leeds United manager. Because I'm saying, what does this fella know about championship football? It's the hardest league in Europe to get out of, bar the National League. Um, and how wrong was I proved with that ridiculous statement mm. where you'd completely undervalued the, the guy? You'd, because what he did was, when they went over to interview him, he'd, he'd watched all the videos of every single club in the championship already. When he walked into the dressing room on his first day in the job, he knew the name of every single player in the dressing room already. He was already telling Calvin Phillips he thought he, that he was, um, you know, he was better placed as a defensive uh, midfielder. So he'd made assessments on the basis of the research that he'd done. So what's to say that other people can't go about the process in the same way and would come into the club if they're infused and they and they want the job. Mm. I've just been doing mock interviews this afternoon with the candidates on the A license course, and and um, you know, so job interviews as well uh, as well as the media bit. You know, if you, and you want to walk in the door and blow people away, and I think this is a job where you're going to have to necessarily do that because there, there should be strong competition for it. So you're going to have to go the extra yard and get and come in with knowledge of of what it is that you want to be involved with. It's not, you know, if you if you're operating in the in a market higher than we are currently anyway, the recruitment side of things has got other people involved as a process, by the way, anyway. Mm. But you, you're not necessarily needing to know about what's... We know what everybody knows what's in the National League because every player in the National League just moves around clubs in the National League. So everybody now has got the position where by the age of 27, you've probably played at five or six different National League clubs. Mm. So we we all know everybody in the National League and they just keep popping up, can't they? Danny Rowe, oh, he's back again. Hello, Danny. <laughs> it's, it, it, A brief so, sojourn just, in the Football League. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They go up there. By Jefferson really, Lewis. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah and, and, and a horde of others as well. Mm. So... We, we we could recruit from the National League, the, the, you know, collectively. We could recruit from the National League because you go, oh, yeah, he got 15 goals last season. We'll have him. Um, mm. He's 27. He's da, da, da. Yeah, he, he nearly he got in the playoffs last year. We'll have him. That's that's too easy. We need Now we need to take this up a notch. We need to be looking, I think, a bit higher than that, a bit bigger than that. Because I'm a bit of ambition. Yeah. If we've lacked anything in recent years, the thing I think we've lacked most is ambition, you know, big picture stuff. Uh, and now it's time to have that. We've got to have it. If we don't have it now, we're never going to have it. Are we? Mm, exactly. Yeah. What I was going to ask next, Bryn, um, is the person who's actually picking the next manager. So I think for a lot of us, it's become quite apparent over the last sort of week that Sean Harvey really seems in control of the club. If you look at the statements when Dean went, his name was mentioned, when Les Reen came in his name was mentioned even today when Sean Pearson said he was leaving he said I phoned Sean now it could be because Fleur has only just started or it could be that Sean Hardy Harvey is actually in control of the club 
my question is two twofold really is firstly what do you think about who is really in control and secondly you've dealt with leads for years what is your and the fans leads fan sort of sort of representation of of, of sean harvey um well let's go back to the start of that one um who's in the who's in control of the club um i don't know but i've dealt with um you know, through the streaming process, we've been in contact with the people who are in control of the club, not the not the real people who are in control of the club. I yeah, yeah. Add, not the, not the owners. Um, we they're, they're people on the ground, and their people on the ground uh, are Sean Harvey and Humphrey Kerr. Now their people on the ground are Sean Harvey, Humphrey Kerr, um, Fleur Robinson, and, and Les Reed, and somewhere as well. I guess uh, you add Peter Moore into that into that picture as well. So there's actually a group of people. Um, and we've been talking to at least two of those people uh, when we need you know, decisions made on things that attach to the streaming coverage so that, that there have been different voices. There's not one single voice that has been um, in that involved in those discussions around stuff at the club. So that would be my take on, on how the club is being run. Um, Sean, uh, I've known for a long time. I'm not going to comment on what Leeds fans think about him because it's not my place to comment on what Leeds fans think about him. Um, but I knew Sean from when he went into Bradford City um, with Jeffrey Richmond a long time ago. And I've had dealings with him since then. Not not uh, Initially, when I was working at BBC Radio Leeds, quite a lot because he was at Bradford City and we covered Bradford City. Not so much when he was at Leeds United because by then I was at Sky and I was there doing other stuff. Um, so occasionally I would come into contact with Sean, not at all when he was in the EFL position. Um, but we're back in contact again now because by necessity, uh, he's one of the people that we've been dealing with to get all the stream stuff sorted out of the club. Um, for me, um, take as you find. I've uh, I've always gotten well with Sean. So um, that's about as far as I can go, really, to be honest with you. Fair enough. It's like you do some sort of media manager courses. <laughs> I mean, okay, let's that, just do blue sky thinking. Should we be? Should any Wrexham fan be worried that Sean Harvey is involved? Well, that's not really blue sky thinking. <laughs> no, no, it's that's a pretty bloody blunt question. Actually, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what the opposite of blue sky thinking is, but I'd say that's probably it. Um, uh, I'd say. I'd say no. I'm going to say no. I put my cards on the table. I'm going to say no. And I'll tell you why I'm going to say no. Uh, in football in general, there is an issue um, with a lack of um, football administration. We, we do an awful lot of work in football on football management and the coaching stuff like I've been doing here. We do an awful lot less on creating a tier of football administration. So what you will often, very often find is that the same people who are, who've got themselves into positions in the game and have been um, have at least a track record, move around from club to club to club because there aren't that many candidates when positions become available. Uh, uh, for instance, that would be somebody else I dealt with at Leeds United, Peter Ridsdale. Everybody knows the circumstances in which he, he left Leeds. Then he went to Barnsley briefly and, you know, a bit of a cloud there. And then he went to Cardiff and things were a bit better at Cardiff and got the new stadium built and stuff. And then he left, you know, fallout maybe at Cardiff. And then he's since then he's been working at Preston North End. So the and Preston North End have been quietly kind of going along quite nicely in the championship. Um, and a, a club like Preston keeping uh, going at that sort of level is 
probably deemed to an extent that the height of their achievements, I would have thought. Um, so he's the guy who's been responsible for doing that. So despite all the stuff that, that had happened in, to him as a football administrator previously, Preston still gave him a position. And in that position, I would say he looks to be doing a decent job. Um, there isn't a, it's, there's not a massive pool out there to draw from. If you want somebody experienced football administrator, there is not a massive pool of people. I can almost name you the people that you would head to who you might realistically hope to appoint. Um, so experience of the football industry is the key aspect in all of this because as the, as the owners you know, have been on, very honest and upfront in saying, they know nothing. So they need guidance and they need help and they need assistance. And they're putting in people. Humphrey has no, um, Humphrey seems a lovely guy from my dealings with him, but he also will hold his hand up and say he's no knowledge of the football industry. Um, and I've heard too many stories in the past of new people coming in, new owners coming into football and to coin a phrase, having their pants pulled down when they go and deal with agents and stuff because the agent says to them, ah, yeah, but this is how we always do it. And so, you put that in there and I'll make sure you get your man. And they suddenly found that they, they, they've burned through a load of money, probably unnecessarily, because they were told that this is the way things happened. Uh, and they've been led and manipulated by those who claim to know about, you know, the, the, the way that deals are done. So you do need guidance because it's a bit cutthroat. Um, so I think I, I think Sean provides that. He, he has experience of football administration. I mean, we introduced the, the, the match streaming, but well, we didn't introduce match streaming service. It was already there. But when we came in to, to work with the guys doing the match streaming service, Sean had knowledge of that because he's the bloke who introduced iFollow to the Football League or oversaw the introduction of iFollow to the Football League. So, you know, there's experience for you. That probably leads on to a question which I was just um, thinking of, which is, do is there a, an extent to, no matter who's in charge of a football club, and I'm going to hold up my hand and say I've questioned is, his role just today, but do you think there's a sense with football fans that you always need, not necessarily a villain, but someone where if anything goes slightly wrong, they're the one to blame, essentially? Oh, no, absolutely without question. Yeah. I mean, I've seen an instance this week of um, Les Reed. I dealt with Les Reed a long way back in when he was doing stuff with England at a youth level, and, uh, and I was doing some stuff around the um, England under 16s and stuff with Sky. So I came into contact with us. I think he did work with the under-21s as well. I used to do England under-21s for Sky. So I've, I've met Les a few times and interviewed him a couple probably, a long way back, but just seemed a, a decent enough bloke to me. Um, and, and then I saw um, something earlier in the week. There was like a dissection. Wrexham fans had now dissected his career and they'd gone... And they picked bits from from the Stephen Gerrard's um, autobiography and comments that he made and about him and stuff. And it, I got a bit frustrated and just a little bit depressed with all that because it hand in hand with the Casey Stoney thing. It was just this. I know why it's there, and it's there because of what's happened in the past, in the fairly recent past. But this absolute desire to, to, to kind of dis, almost try and destroy characters, you know, right from the get go, to produce quotes from other message boards saying this guy's no good because da 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 da. It it just it, it worries me a little bit because I think if anything, if this project is going to fall down on anything, it will be on those sorts of daft things where where just people shout loudly about something that isn't really a thing again. You know, you can't argue with Les Reed's CV in football terms. We are in no position where we are and how long we've been there 
to call into question what Les Reed has achieved in the game. No position at all. And yet there is still this willingness to kind of tear it all to pieces and smash it all down. And no, no, he's not the well, who is then? Who the heck, you know, who are you gonna get? Who who's gonna come and do that? Which wrecks them for crying out loud? It's good things lie ahead, hopefully, but it's still Wrexham. It's still the National League. So just chill out, everybody. Hey, please, enjoy the ride, man. <laughs> That's a message we could all take on board, to be honest. I feel like I could sometimes. <laughs> yeah, hashtag enjoy the ride, man, is, the, is what we need as a strategy. <laughs> going um, in terms of Wrexham looking ahead, um, yeah, we've, we've mentioned about manager how what do you think the timescale will be because everybody's saying oh we've got a couple of weeks to steal a march on on people now because there's other teams involved in the playoffs does this manager need to come in pretty imminently now and you know can you see yeah. that Are we looking at another seven days or longer do you think i think longer would be my guess i don't think i personally don't think it does need to happen imminently for a number of reasons the release list is there now, so that you know there's some con- a little bit more contractual to and froing to be done, maybe. But you've got a vague idea of who's who's in and, and who's out. Um, there is at least one person in place, or if not two or three people in place, to have that conversation on those on that basis now, because that's that's going to be part. That is part of Les Reed's remit. So they've announced him, so he will be involved in that in that process now, as he's there for. So you've got somebody overseeing that aspect. And it may be that going forward, Les Reed takes a, a bigger role. I don't know, but I'm, I'm surmising that he may take a bigger role in, in recruitment. You know, And I, I personally think that would be a, uh, a good step for us to take. I think we could do with an... I think we've completely lacked that in recent years, that oversight, that kind of... What Les Reed did very successfully, as I understand it, at Southampton was create the process for the succession each time so that you were always ready for the next manager before the current one had left, effectively, you know, on the basis of that that's how football works these days. Um, so that kind of, we need to put longer-term planning in place because we've been woeful on that basis. There's been no long-term planning. So if we can put those elements in, and recruitment is obviously part of that. So I don't think we need to get this done in, in, in five or six days or whatever. Um, stealing a march from other clubs around us in the National League, I'd agree with if I didn't still feel that we may yet be hopefully shopping in a different supermarket to them you know, over the, over the next few weeks and months. So yes, on the basis that if you're looking to recruit from within the league, you need to maybe get ahead of the game. But if you're looking to other leagues to do your recruiting from um, and the financial wherewithal is there to you know, to make a real mark in that particular market, then again, I don't see the need to necessarily rush in. I'd, I'd be making sure you got the right people in now. And if that takes a bit longer, then so be it. Because at the moment, this t- time is still on our side. You know, it's still the first week in June. So there we are. Wrexham equals Waitrose, Solihull, <laughs> Shopper. That's kind of like levels. That's what we're going for, I think. Where's Quinn's Dan? <laughs> <laughs> it's gone mate I know it's a co-op now <laughs> you need to get yourself uh, back home lad <laughs> <laughs> so on every podcast we do we do the uh, fearless moment so our guest will tell us a particular moment that gives them the, the greatest sense of satisfaction watching Wrexham over so many years, mostly in the doldrums, 
So, Bryn, um, what have you got for us? What's the, the, the most obvious thing for you that stands out in, in all your times following the, the club? I'm still, pre- I'm still pleased to say there have been plenty of potential candidates for this accolade. But for me, I think the one that still stands out for all the circumstances is the, the view. Now, I was lucky enough to be in the, the kind of semi-posh seats at Wembley for the first, the first Wembley appearance for the FA Trophy final. And to look out over the away end that day and to see the size, the magnitude of the support that we'd mustered was was incredible in itself. But then to know the story, uh, the backstory, I mean, I was down in London already, so I, I, I would have been traveling from Leeds anyway, but I was already down in London. Um, so I was there ahead of the whole thing that happened in Wrexham in the build-up to the game with this incredible 25-year heaviest dump of snow ever. And that whole idea of the whole of North Wales effectively getting up in the morning, picking up shovels and digging cars and coaches and all the rest of it out, when it would have been as easy to say, no, it's too difficult to travel, it's too dangerous to travel, let's not do it. So the fact that everybody had gone to those lengths and then whatever it was, 18,500 of them had made it to Wembley that was I mean if I were buying the football club I'd be buying it on the basis of that particular day because I would look at the amount of effort that people went to loads of people who didn't really follow the club let's be let's be frank about it but the effort that people had gone to that day to get themselves there on that big day to support Wrexham football club that would be saying to me there's your potential that's what this football club can do and that that eighteen thousand figures come around again with the membership total, hasn't it? And then so that yes. that has a it has a resonance to me that because I looked out that day and I thought, actually, do you know what? There's life in the, in this in this old dog yet because look how many people have turned out to support this club. That's what you can tap into. There was hope, you know. It didn't matter what the result was in a way. Brilliant that it was a victory and and celebrating that and singing. Um, Wrexham in the name. Wrexham is the name in the in the seats after the game, and the players were celebrating and all the rest of it with with Gareth, our Olympian. Um, that was that was brilliant. You know, that was just one. And my two daughters were there. Uh, you know, my wife was there. My mum and dad was there. That was one of those. That was a proper day. That was the gathering of the clans. That was that was us saying to everybody else. You know, very much a kind of an Omar Oheed statement about all of that. We still are here. We still have relevance. We still have enormous potential. We can be better than this thing we are currently. So that was the day I think I, I, it, it kind of, I'd started watching Rex in my first couple of home games. It was 10,000 the first one I watched in 79, Blackburn. Then the second home game was Sunderland, 20 odd thousand for Sunderland. The third home game was Stoke City, 20 odd thousand for Stoke City. Um, and you know, and then it's been like that ever since, frankly. <laughs> so so it was just even for me from that early first game in 79, I had to wait a long time to get that sense of, wow, how many people are here, man? It's incredible. Bryn, do you think the club needed that at that point, just because it'd been in, in non-league for, for quite a oh, while? Yeah. It, needed, it needed that sort of kickstart? Unquestionably. I mean, that was the, that was the, that was the pride element of it, was that, we can still do this. We we can still do this thing. These people are waiting for success at this football club. And so I'm hoping that they're still those same 18 and a half thousand people who made that journey that day. I'm hoping that they're still waiting, ready to come and, and to get involved again. I mean, we've had ridiculously good support where we've been at 
Uh, I, I've watched as far better Exum teams playing at a far higher level with smaller gates by far than we've currently been getting to, you know, for a home game against Boreham Wood or something. So um, the support has been unquestionably fantastic, but we know there's more out there and there's, the, the, we can get those, if we can get those people, that was the day that said, yeah, we, we, there is still, there's still a point to this football club, if you like, because they're, they're all here proving that fact. Um, and give, I mean, Wrexham fans love a day out, don't they? Or away day, nothing like it for a Wrexham fan. So we always turn out in daft big numbers for away days anyway. Um, but that was the that was the absolute, that was the height of it that day. It was just, it was a brilliant scene because I was able to look over to it. It's fantastic, loved it. We've talked a little bit about where Wrexham may be in the next couple of years, just because of what we could you know, what we could do. Do you think there's actually, with your Premier League experience, do you think there's really, there's really a chance for us to grab the, well, not the lapsed Premier League fan, but someone who goes to Everton two or three times a season, who goes to Liverpool once or twice, who goes to Leeds four or five times. Do you think we can really grab that, that fan base from North Wales and make it, make it, make it more Wrexham? The way you started that, I thought you were going to say, do you really think we can get to the Premier League? So I was no, like, no, no, I'm, ups, I'm, I'm not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, all right, we see. You might have got an answer from me on that one. But uh, yes, I do. I, I absolutely do think we can get those those fans. I think there's actually quite an interest in um, finding, for some fans now, there are numerous elements in the Premier League which make the, the football, the football is, listen, I've, I've enjoyed the season watching Leeds United in it and Leeds United play fantastic football. It's been a privilege to be in the ground to watch. It's almost ruined me for watching any other type of football, I'm afraid to say. But um, the football is good and and it is, it's a lot better than the championship. I've watched a lot of championship football in, in uh, across the years and I watched loads of it last year because I was doing all the Leeds games last year. Football's better in the Premier League, no question about that. But there are a number of other elements to the experience that maybe um, don't tick all the boxes. It's expensive to go. The VAR thing is, I think, is is significant. You're going to see the, that come back again when fans are back in the ground again. It's you know, that survey this week said 40% of fans are thinking of not going to games because of VAR Premier League fans. I think there are opportunities to draw people into into what looks to be like something just a bit different. And if the atmosphere is quite vibey and if there's a bit of, I, I don't want to use the word razzmatazz because that's like a night, some horrible 1970s phrase that seems to involve cheerleaders or something. But if there's a if there's more about the match day experience as the as the marketing people and the commercial people talk about, if there's something in it and it's and it's at an affordable price and the football is entertaining and the atmosphere is good and and it's loud and noisy and and I think there's plenty to buy into there. I think you can offer something that people you need. I hope we need a bigger ground. Let's put it that way. Can Wrexham get into the Premier League? Yes. <laughs> well, <When>? Bournemouth did. <laughs> um, Wigan did. You yeah. know, uh, when? Uh, Bradford, yeah, Bradford, to be fair, latent fan base is pretty big, They're, as they've been proving in the recent seasons. But there are plenty of other examples of, of, of clubs not dissimilar in size or even arguably, you know, Bournemouth on the start of that journey you would say we're a smaller club than Wrexham, uh, I'd say. Brentford. 
Yeah, you know, Brentford, you know, build it a bit, but they've done things gradually and the yeah. support base is built up and then they build themselves a new stadium. So they put they've put planks in place and, and good looks and they've got themselves into the top flight. So I I still dare to have that dream that, that it is still possible with sensible, um, shrewd, secure, stable management. And that's all tiers management. I'm not just talking about football team management because I think the importance comes from it's top down in football very often. And if we get the right group of people in place, the right team of people in place and start to build that momentum up with more fans coming into the ground, the key to it all is getting out the ruddy National League and then see how things start to pick up after that. So, yeah, I'll say yes. Why not? I'm I'm a bit giddy about the whole thing at the moment. Give me six months and I'll be back down to earth. Oh dear me! When Les Reed suddenly becomes manager and uh, it's gone full circle, you never know. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Um, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Never say never in football. That's for sure. So let's turn our attentions to the national team. Um, the Euro twenty twenty is upon us in twenty twenty one. Um. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? I want to get excited about it, and I am excited about it, but, you know, probably all of us, or at least three of us, um, would would be there. Um, Yeah. What's your thoughts on it looking ahead? You know, is is that element of excitement dampened somewhat? Because we can't... Oh, yeah. Yeah, unquestionably so. Um, I mean, I've got two tickets that are sitting. I keep getting e- emailed <laughs> reminders from UEFA that my tickets yeah. are ready to download. Thanks, guys. Every day they do. Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, twice a day I'm getting them. So uh, as if they're just like jabbing you, jabbing you, jabbing <laughs> you to say you've got tickets, but you're not going to use oh, them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I'd investigate the whole Baku thing and it just looks so enormously complicated. There's a risk of if you tested positive out there, you've got to quarantine at your own expense in Azerbaijan for 10 days and then maybe another day, et cetera, et cetera. Too many hoops to be jumped through. Too many imponderables. You can't get travel insurance, all the sorts of things. So I took the decision that having kept the tickets for as long all the way through the process that I then wasn't going to exercise the right to use them. So that's a disappointment. That's taken the edge off it. Then a Rome ticket popped up. Um, so I booked flights for Rome because they cost 30 quid. And I thought, well, I might as well go for it. And then if something crazy happens between now and then in terms of traffic lights and greenness and all the rest of it, then maybe it'll become a goer. But as we sit and talk now, the appearance is that that isn't going to be the case. So someone someone do the right thing there. Put Italy on the green list and, and happy days, we're off to Rome. But I think the expectation is that isn't going to happen either because you know I was going to go for 24 hours or less, actually, and then do 10 days quarantine after. <laughs> I can't really justify that one domestically, can I? Um, so I don't think that one's going to happen either. And that's the discipline. That's taking the edge off it because we all want to be there. That's We've waited since 1958 for the chance to go to a summer tournament. We got to the first one and then we get to another one. Brilliant. And then, no, no, you can't go to this one now. Um, so it's like, well, are we ever going to do this again? So, yeah, I am I watching it in a pub with other people it will be slightly alien experience to me because it's just not Mm. something I've done either because I was at the game as a fan or I was working on the game 
Yeah. So this is on. This is a whole new ball game for me. I'm trying to find somewhere in Leeds to watch it, um, <laughs> which is not as straightforward as you might think it might be. So, yeah, and there's quite a few Wales fans in Leeds, so we'll probably gather. Hopefully, we'll gather to watch it and try and make something of it on that basis. Um, but it's not the same. It's not the same yeah. at all. How do you assess our chances? Because obviously, it's a very different team to the one from 2016. Different manager. Lot of youngsters that have been blooded in the right way. Um, there's been obviously a few little um setbacks in terms of the narrative with Ryan Giggs and Robert Page. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. that continu- continuation there. Setbacks over the narrative is probably the uh, <laughs> the most PR way. I'll just make a note to that one for the next media module. It's been a long day. I'll get I'll get I'll get um Mr. Mahana to edit that out, it'll be fine. Um, yeah, I just, I just, you know, I think we'll get out of the group, and it'd be great if we do because that means that there's there's a greater chance for us to go and watch them um, at the later stages. If, if I'm selfish, but I, mean, I, I think we'll get out of the group. How do you assess it? What's your overall thoughts on on how we'll we'll fare? I I think we'll do well to get out of the group. I yeah. think we've got. I think we've got. Arguably, I think we've certainly got one of the hardest groups. I've I've been doing a little bit of reading up in the last week or so and, and and I you know if you look at the records of the teams involved with us I think I can't there isn't an easy looking game there let's put it that way in Slovakia in, in 2016 you probably looked at that was a good game to start with in terms of the group because they were they were decent Hamchik was the standout name kind of thing but the rest of them you looked at them and thought mm, not too much to worry about there uh, you know as long as we play okay and that turned out to be the case as it turned out Russia were rubbish um, and frankly, and frankly, England weren't a lot better either, uh, which was also significant because you know didn't, they didn't really put any pressures on us as it turned out at the top of the group. Mm. So that that group actually was not a great group. Um, we were lucky, I think, with the, that one. I see this one being in stark contrast. Italy are on a tremendous run. Um, Turkey were excellent in qualifying, pushed France hard in, the, in their qualifying group. Switzerland are the one that you'd look at probably as offering that that sort of more obvious opportunity, but they always we don't have a great record against them, and they always tend to be quite good and uh, you know sort of. So I think I think we've got a tough group. If we if we get out of it, I think we've done really really well, particularly with the age of the group that we that we've taken. I think we're the youngest squad, aren't we? Um, Last time I looked, we were the youngest, youngest squad, I think. Uh, 25 and a half years or something is the average age. And obviously, you've got the lads at the 30 end and then the, the boys way below that at the other end. You've got players in there barely playing any club football, which is a sort of perennial problem. But the younger they are, the less experienced on that basis they carry with them as well. Having said all of that, I love the team. I, I, I love the way they play. I love the way they commit themselves to the cause. I love the mix between the, the guys that we've come to adore and the, and the new guys who are coming through. Um, I think they show a tremendous commitment to the cause. Um, so I, I really hope they do well. I do have an inkling that one or two of them might emerge as, um, I think Daniel James has the potential to be a, a bit of a star turn um, mm. at the Euros, where he's kind of more off the leash than, than, he, than he's ever allowed to be at Manchester United and certainly under less pressure than he ever is at Manchester United. You've ruined my last uh, straw poll. All right. Yes, is the answer. Um, (laughs) I was going to say, who is the one player you think can actually really emerge from this? 
I mean, well, mine that, is the centre half, the Tottenham centre half, Rondon. Rondon, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. I think he's brilliant, and I think he really suits the international sort of setup where he's got a little, probably a little bit more time than the Premier League. Well, I was chatting about this with coaches um, this this afternoon, and we, the same point was being made there that actually the international setup, international game suits quite a few of these lads probably more in a sense than club football does and, and so Joe Morell would be a great example of that because he maybe lacks the physical stature to cut it at championship level where there is that element of sort of midfield physicality required to, to stand your ground um, and then he maybe you know he's going to find it hard to match the skill level demanded of someone playing in that position in the Premier League um, so that makes it difficult for him to position himself currently, except in international football, there's different, the game is played differently. That um, He's found a role for himself there that seems to really suit the style of play, his, his style of play. And I, I, I mean, I love him. I, I love him as a lad. I think he's great. I met him and interviewed him and, and it was one of my favourite interviews. He's really, really good guy to talk to. Um, and he absolutely fully buys into the whole, you know, the whole Wales thing, which so he's great. So I'd like him to have a good tournament. Um, but yeah, we have got a number of players who seem better suited to international football than club football at the moment. Back to the straw poll. Go on, Tim. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Rodon's really good. I'd like to see Cabango get some game time. I think he's got a lot of promise. Um, yeah, I, I think going back to what Bryn said, I think Dan James is, is um, He's been under immense pressure to perform at Man United, like immense, and it's coming in fits and starts from him. But I think he's managed it really well. Um, he's managed the social media pressures that he's been under as well. And I just think, you know, for what for what they paid Swansea for him, they've still got a snip, and he, you know, he's still his, his, yet, his best years are still ahead of him. So I just think on that stage, if he's given. The freedom and he, and he gets given the ball plenty of occasions. I think I think he'll do well. I, th- I just think he's it's, it's, it's similar, no, not not massively similar, but there's there's you know, there's Bale with Madrid, with his Madrid situation. He enjoys playing for Wales with an element of freedom and a lack of pressure he gets at the club. And I think that's a similar thing with Dan James, but at a different point of his career. Clearly, it's an outlet, isn't it? Yeah, I, I just I just think he'll go there and enjoy it. I think he looked pretty bright against France. Um, so, you know, he'll probably get more game time against Albania, um, by which time this pod comes out, we will have hopefully beaten them. Um, and yeah, I, I just think he's uh, he's got plenty of potential and, and I think Solskjaer's still backs him, which is good. Um, so yeah, good Euros season back in the as the regular starter for for United. Liam, because your internet is from 1986, are you going for Nev- Neville Southall? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's still playing, isn't he? Um, yeah, there's a few. I think there's a few players you could go for. Really, James being the obvious one, but everyone else has already said that, so that's put me on the spot now. Um, I think Nico Williams, if he plays mm. quite regularly, someone who doesn't really get a look in. Um, at Liverpool for obvious reasons, um, being that we don't talk about what happened uh, earlier in the week with the red card, because that was just horrendous. So we're, we're unanimous that, that James is going to have a, a good one. Nico, well, I think Danny Ward's going to be in goal for all the games? Possibly, but uh, the one thing Dan's got, which is quite straightforward, is he's, he's really, really quick. 
Yeah. And and defenders hate players who are really, really quick. It's it's really quite straightforward, I think, on that basis. But there are other good Nico Williams, I love him. He looks a great player as well. We've got we've got some really exciting young players. And uh, there's a Wrexham guys in charge. Uh, it's high up in the academy setup at, at Cardiff City currently. David Hughes and um, oh, I've yeah, been talking yeah. to David. David's a big Wrexham fan. I've been talking to him Let's about Robin. Yes, he was another one of the Robin boys. I, I would it. imagine your your mum would have taught him. Uh, she did. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That was the initial connection. Uh, was that she taught him Welsh, and um, so I talked to David about uh, about. Him, Colwell, and he said, "Oh, he's, he's got, he's got the lot." We, they were very, they're very excited about him at Cardiff City about what they've got there. So there was a discussion we was had with Cardiff about, you know, is it is it right for him to be in the senior national squad? And they said, "Absolutely yes." So they're confident. So there's another one. You know, um, we do lack a little extra in the, in that out and out sort of attacking role potentially. So somebody else who might yet come to the fore. Fingers crossed. Let's hope. Absolutely. With, with Colwell, no one knows anything about him. We don't yeah. know anything about him. So obviously yeah. the Swiss and the, the Turks don't know anything yeah. about him. So yeah, that's quite hopeful as well, isn't it? Gareth Bale, is he? I mean, there was, there was the, the muted um, retirement rumour. Um, I don't see it. I think he'll, he'll stick around for the, the World Cup campaign. Um, do you think he'll still be at Madrid? I, don't, I, I would have thought probably not. Because it's just kind of um, just seems a bit of a going through the motions exercise that now. Unless the unless he's hanging fire Zidane, you know, ultimately Zidane again has left the club. And the yeah. first time he left, and it looked like Gareth was going to be back in favour on the basis, and then he reappears again. So maybe I mean he'd be daft to sort of burn any bridges now, wouldn't he? Because the next guy may love him, um, and the ne- the next guy may be under more pressure than Zidane was under to actually use him as well. Um, so whether whether the relationship's too fractured with the with the Madridistas, I don't know. But um, you just want to see him playing. Uh, you know, he's one of the very few players through my even through my time watching the game where you go, "Oh, Bale's playing." Looking forward to this um, because you you want to you want to see him. You know what he can do, and you want to you, you're hoping that you see him do it, kind of thing. So it's been a, it's been great to get the chance to watch him, and I'm not ready to finish watching him yet. I want to see more of him. I want to say I'd like to see how he changes what he was into what he maybe is now, what he's going to become. No, I mean Ronaldo's done it incredibly well. Um, so could Gareth rise to a similar challenge, or will he just decide that you know he's earned his money and and enough's enough or whatever? We, I hope not. I really I hope not because he's one of those genuinely exciting. Um, from everything I've seen, completely committed players who's also just a straightforward, um, you know, decent guy. That, that's been my experience of being in his in his presence in his company. So I just hope he carries on, particularly for Wales, because he's still a talismanic figure for us, even when he wasn't firing on all cylinders through the qualifiers um, necessarily, um, but, and into the national league as well. He's still coming up, and we've even seen it in the last game, the, the first um, of the World Cup qualifiers. He just has that one moment in the game where he produces the key pass, the ball, the cross, whatever it might be. So even if he's not doing it himself, he still has the ability to help you to win a game. And yeah, that's that, that's almost irreplaceable, and he will almost be irreplaceable, frankly, from a Welsh perspective, I think. You sort of mentioned it there where you said that you think he's really driven. Do you think he's committed as as someone, as Ronaldo, 
or do you think he's just sort of he's like he's 33 he's made his money he doesn't really doesn't need it anymore um well he he, he possibly doesn't have the same level of drive as ronaldo but then few I mean, when I'm saying that back to myself, I mean, that's a ridiculous question, isn't it? Ronaldo is a complete freak, isn't he? Well, exactly. That's what he is. Yeah, you know, he's just a, a, a different beast on, on kind of so many levels. Whereas most people would have gone, yeah, I think I've achieved all I need to achieve here. He's on, right, now I've got Juventus and said, I'll do it there. Um, and and so he keeps going where others would have gone, no, enough's enough. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think Gareth is the, of the same mindset as him at all. I think he's a bit more... Um, almost, I, I don't use this in, in in a pejorative way. He's just kind of a bit more ordinary in a way, um, and and that that willingness to go to battle because that's what he's had to do at Real Madrid, isn't it? Basically, it seems that every day he's going into work, he's also going into battle, and that's maybe the bit that's worn him down. So the bit that he gets reinvigorated by is coming back to that warm welcoming environment where everyone loves him in Wales in complete contrast to what he's experienced in Madrid and then he came back to Spurs and he's working with another guy who's maybe battling a few demons at the moment in a sense in Mourinho uh, at a club that's trying to find a way to pitch itself in the midst of all this stuff and we saw that through the Super League shout on their on their behalf so that looked like a good move, but maybe it wasn't really a good move. I just hope he ends up at Leeds United. That's that's my uh, oh, that's Rexham. my wish for the summer. <laughs> there we go. Now that's that's, that's more like it. That's, now that's blue sky thinking. <laughs> Fair play. On that bombshell, let's leave it, Bryn. <laughs> Okay, so it's time now for uh, the next instalment of Our Mighty Heroes. It's been MIA the last couple of weeks due to the emergency pod and Spencer part two. Uh, Thanks for all your feedback on those podcasts, by the way. Much appreciated. Um, But Tim, tell us the result of the Twitter poll for the Strikers. Well, it was very, very close. However, um, the goal poaching prowess of Andy Morrell trumped the showboating trickster pony that is Lee Trumbull by 56% to 44%. So Mozza gets last place up top with Gary Bennett and Carl Conley. Not a bad front three. Truns, you'll have to settle for a place on the bench, but I'm sure he'd come on and knock a hat-trick in 10 minutes, wouldn't he? Well, will he settle for a place on the bench? Because that's what we're discussing today. Next week, we're going to go for managers, so our ultimate manager of the last... uh, 30 or so years, uh, but now we're going to go for the bench. So we've got five positions. We've just got to agree on this somehow. We're not going to muck around with uh, uh, doing timers. Liam, what's your view on the five on the bench? Well, because I'm not like Dean Keats was earlier this season, I've got a goalkeeper on there. Um, I've got Andy Dibble on there. Safe pair of hands. Can't go wrong. If you need to bring him on, a reliable pair of hands. And then... Thought Tony Humes was unlucky not to get on in defence. So another decent player there. Um, and Tim will be pleased to know I've got Peter Ward after the controversy that was mm. our midfield and the choice between Darren Ferguson and Peter Ward. Um, and then I thought it'd be, I had to have Lee Trundle because I wanted him in the first team, to be honest. As much as I love Andy Morell, I wanted Trundle to 
give a bit of magic in the first team, but maybe I could just bring him on at half time. Um, and last but not least, no one will be surprised here that I put Mr. Glenn Little on my bench <laughs> as well, just to make it look a bit more handsome, a bit more sexy, and also just bring him on for some showboating as well at the end. Oh, little and trends in a team, that'd be fun. All right, yeah. Andy, how does that differ with yours? Not much. So I've got Dibble, I've got Humes, I've got Ward, I've got Mickey Thomas, and then I've got Trundle. Now, the reason I've picked Dibble is because actually it's more what he brings to a dressing room because I know what Dibble brings to a dressing room. He was an absolute legend in that side just for what he did off, off the pitch as well. Hume's just great defender. Ward was better than most people thought. Mickey Thomas, I know we've talked about this, and obviously if it was first incarnation, Mickey, he would be in straight away. Second incarnation, Mickey scored an iconic free kick, but at the end of the day, he still was a great player for us. So I'm going for him, and Trundle didn't get in because of morale. needs to be on the bench. Sums it up. Tim, any thoughts? Do you have, would you go for someone else? Um, well, I think we're all unanimous. Well, in terms of Dibble. Oh, yeah, I agree with Dibble. Yeah. Dibble, Humes and Ward for me are kind of, they have to be there for experience and 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 just longevity, really. Uh, and then the other two, I don't really know. I'm kind of like struggling, really. I, I, I kind of like the idea of Malt for some bizarre reason. Um, oh, do you think it's it's a bit different? You can offer a bit of pace and stuff that we don't really have on that bench. Well, that's what I was thinking. That plus, you know, age is on his side as well. You know, we're thinking pre pre Preston and pre injury nightmares had, but I just think he could offer something slightly different, a bit of an all rounder, not just a specific skill set. So, yeah, I'd have him in there, I think, and then a fifth one. Jesus Christ, I can't even remember off the top of my head who we've we've muted that I've not mentioned what about Mark Jones I mean Mark Jones is pretty yeah. close on my, on my that's a uh, good shout yeah I mean, yeah I mean Jonah was again you know it's you could do a, a best 11 of players that promised so much but were ruined by injury and he'd be near the top of that list wouldn't he because mm. if, if injuries hadn't bitten him so badly he could have had a, a, a wonderful career at, I don't know you probably guess in championship there or thereabouts, he had it all, didn't he? So, yeah, I'm quite happy to go with that. Thanks for that suggestion, Andy. He scored some absolute worldies. Um, he was made of glass, wasn't he, at the end of the day? But brilliant, brilliant player on his day. I quite like the idea of Ugarte coming off the bench. Yeah, OK. For something a little bit different, if you're 70 yeah. minutes in, it's nil-nil. And I'm just thinking of Truns. I, I, I'm not sure you get the best out of him on the bench, even though oh, I get why he's there. Oh, come on. Really I just think, oh, no, 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 no. The problem with Ugarte, right, is that he was crap at home. He only ever did it away, and that's just the facts. He, he was good away. There you go. Great away sub. You try to on affairs a lot? Like playing away from home? <laughs> well, yeah, you never know. Where is he now? Nobody knows. <laughs> mm. I'll, I'll be honest. Trans was probably the best <laughs> playing away from home. But you're still welcome back on, Lee. You're still welcome back on. Absolutely. <laughs> We've got um, that trundle on there for me. I'm I'm more inclined towards Mark Jones than Glenn Little, personally. Wow. What? I found, yeah. Right, to be honest, I think yeah. we've all gone for the same sort of people. The one question mark is the attacking mid. 
So I've gone Thomas, Liam's gone Glenn Little, and I mm. think so. Obviously, Tim's gone Mark Jones. So it's up to you, Reese. Who do you? Think? Oh, that's hot. You can't do that. <laughs> uh, oh, that's really tough. Again, you can't have anyone different from that because there's no, no one. No, no, you can't. They're, no, they're, that's those are the You're obvious right. ones. So we've got what we've got: Dibble, Humes, and Ward. Well, yeah, and I think they're pretty much set in stone. Yeah. And as much as I'd like you guys, I think trans makes the most sense. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Enough. So attacking mid is between those three. Again, I didn't see Mickey ever, uh, but I'm going to pretend like I did in terms of obviously I've seen highlights and obviously there's that free kick. Um, it's tough. Um, Mark Jones, Mickey Thomas. You are the deciding vote on this. Uh, so, okay, I'm going to cast out Glenn Little. No, you can't make me the deciding vote. If I cast out Glenn Little, then Liam's back in the game as well. So I'm going to do that. So it's between Mark Jones and Mickey Thomas. Um, well, you could just go for who's the most local and go for Mark Jones because they that, that gets you extra points. So he does on Red Passion, yeah. Does <laughs> <laughs> um, exist? I thought it'd been pulled this week. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts Mick, between them, Liam? I'm going to go for Mickey Thomas just because I think if you looked at that. Well, that's that, not the one I thought he would go for. No. No, well, I mean, Mick, uh, Mark Jones is more sort of my era type of thing, but I just think Mickey Thomas is such an iconic Wrexham player that you look at that bench and you think, bloody hell, you would be afraid of playing against any of those off the bench, wouldn't you? And you know what? After the way, after what Mickey was saying on the on the podcast that we had him on, I think it was episode three, wasn't it? He was our first guest. Um it would be unfair to have a change in room with Joey Jones in it and not Mickey Thomas, the way he waxed lyrical. So let's let's get Mickey Thomas in then. Okay, fine. Mickey, uh, you're in, along with uh, Andy Dibble, Tony Humes, Ward, Peter Ward, and uh, Lee Trundle. Welcome to Our Mighty Heroes. You may have not made the first 11, but you've made the bench. Congratulations. Okay, so no predictions uh, this week. Obviously, that's all done, sadly. Um, but Liam, I think... Sadly we, for Liam, yeah. Have yeah. we ascertained that you are going to be wearing a Chester shirt to the, the pre to a pre-season well, game or the first game of the season? Well, you say that, but I have managed to speak to the man who sent us the email and it was basically an option. It was wear the shirt or change your profile picture. So. That was that was one of three emails we received on the topic and the other ones said you've got to go in a shirt. So but, but and, now, and the other thing is you can't just sort of like say I've read one email and that was fine. We made a decision on that podcast. I think we the did. decision was that you Who's were paying for my security then? Who's paying for my security is all I'm saying. How would you go to a Wrexham game in a Chester shirt and not get beaten up? We'll we'll look out for you. You'll have to perform a protective ring around me. I will <laughs> I will form a human shield around you, Liam. Yeah. By, okay. by letting you be beaten a sh- up. A shield of love. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, um, that's pretty much all for the podcast this week. Other than the fact that we've got a fantastic guest lined up for you for the next podcast uh tell us a little bit about him without giving it away andy so he's a manager that has a lot to say he's a manager that's been in the non-league era but 
obviously we can't say a little bit more because we need to get him absolutely signed up but I think it will be a good one Tim once substituted Dean Keats oh very... bloody hell you just cuts alright then I'll start again um, once got turned on by a player he met in pre-season <laughs> there we go that should give it to that's me that's a lot better that's anyone who's familiar creepy. with some uh, memes will be familiar with that photo so on that note thanks for listening again and uh, we'll uh, see you next week bye